Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Not too bad. How going are you guys? Well, going well. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Any news? Boys are back. I see they're in their lounge room. Any news? They are. Yes, we've um, we've been cutting uh, grass that's too long in the paddocks, so it stops all the gra- the green grass coming through. So we've got um, oh, okay. hay fever eyes at the moment, which is quite nice. Mm. Mm. That's exciting. So, and Swanee? Yeah. One of the punishments of staying away for so long. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you're not getting a lot of sympathy from us. <laughs> I was going to say, well, say, that's it. We had to mow the lawn. Oh. on my hands because <laughs> I've had to work, you know, all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> poor darling. Yeah, oh. I, <laughs> I did say that you'd gone to, you'd been in Noosa. Did you have a nice trip? We did, yeah. Did you enjoy Noosa? We ate too much and drank too much. Yeah, Noosa's lovely. It's just so easy. It's it's very swanky I've not been though. For a long time. You know, it's very touristy and people dress a certain way and it's lovely to visit. I couldn't live. There. Does it involve white linen at all? Because if I were, if I wear a certain old. you know, a certain fabric, old. my husband will say, What's yeah. going on here, Noosa? <laughs> So, it's a, I look <laughs> well, your husband well. is bang on. I'm not partial to, but I, I wear it. Yeah, white linen. I yeah. love linen. No, don't get me wrong. It for a long I love time. it. Yeah, but, same here. It, yeah, I know what you mean, but there it is a look. I know so exactly what you mean. I wear a lot of white linen in summer simply because it's comfortable. But sure, oh, no. go ahead and judge people. No, it's a bit more that I can't put my finger on. Sometimes I see things that it's I know exactly. Wear. It's, it's like a particular look. There's so it's like so a cult. much linen there, and then there's you know. All the guys are in their, oh, you know, the short, the fitted shorts and the shirt and stuff. I mean, it's all, it's a good look. Don't get me wrong, but everyone's doing it. For our listeners, certainly anyone who's abroad, typically um, anywhere that's coastal is very, very, very ridiculously casual in some places. Certainly in Western Australia, where I am, you know, mm. you're dressed up if you've got a pair of flip flops, yeah, thongs on. Yeah. <laughs> Noosa yeah. has always historically sort of even been, it's a smarter seaside resort, isn't it? It is the one that, you know, a lot of East Coast people have always it's gone to. It's incredibly chic. So it's and got the, better. Yeah, and the food's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Great bars. You know, it's got a lot going on. We went to the Sundays. We had a, you know, like a charter, a catamaran or whatever else. We did that just before COVID, so at the beginning of 2020. And the thing that I found after being in Western Australia, when we arrived in Queensland off the plane, it's like it's ready to go. It's built for tourism. It it yeah, understands yeah. what a tourist wants and needs, whereas over here it's quite different. Here it's about, you know, they want you to work for it. You feel like you've got to be a pioneer to to get anywhere that's really beautiful whereas there it's like it was so easy and you know I remember we were when we came back we're like yeah Queensland is pretty awesome really you know given that it's on our doorstep maybe I should book a trip to QLD you should you should something else that someone said to us is we were swimming in the in the ocean and it was beautiful you know it wasn't wasn't cold by any stretch particularly not for a Victorian one of the people we were there with said if this was manly they would be blowing whistles and yelling at you to get between the flags and you know, saying you can't do this and you can't do that, whereas Noosa it was just do what you feel like. Well, that's nice. All right. Well, I suppose we should introduce ourselves. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarkie. And together we are... Trial, Trial by, by Wine. Oh. What are we drinking? Go on, Swanee. Shock <laughs> the world. <laughs> Well, when I was telling my um, children or one of my children that I was doing trial by Wayne this afternoon, he goes, you mean trial by sparkling water? <laughs> um, but I've actually got two cans two cans on the go. I don't know why. I must two have had cans. one walking around with it. What? So I've got very, and unsurprisingly, I've got a probably three two-thirds of a sparkling water and a half a Coke Zero. So there you go. Swanning two can. Yeah. What about you, Pear? Yeah. Something much better, I'm we sure. We saw two cans Boys, in the Amazon on? back in the day. Um, mm. We're on oh. another Feather Top Rose. Whatever. <laughs> oh, don't be like that. Lovely. They're really pretty. They're smaller than that. They look oh, like no, they the are on the fruit lovely. Loops packet. Are they? 
Mm. I always are they really? Like a bigger than a cockatoo. Yeah, I always thought they were quite big. Because their beaks are massive, aren't they? Well, no, I don't think mm. they are. I think they're just disproportionately big beaks. Don't, they must have strong neck muscles to stop their head from falling mm. forward all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm drinking, thanks for asking. What are you drinking, Dylan? Gerard Bertrand, what are you drinking? Cote de Roses. <laughs> rosé. Well, so a rosé as well. Syrah, so, so it looks like I'd like it. It looks very pale. I like that. It's very pale. It's from like the Languedoc region of yep. France. And for, on first sip I thought, oh, my God, this is sweet. But now I've had a few sips. It's not too bad. But it's a very pale, very pretty rosé and... That's the bottle. It's got is a it the funny same little oh, that's totally my. That's totally me. Yeah, or, that's the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, it's just maybe a little bit more pale than yours. Very similar, though. Very similar. Yeah, very similar. Mm. All right. Well, who's got a story for us? I do. And uh, I found a story that ticked a few boxes for me. So it's it's nothing too gory. Celebrities? But it's some interesting aspects of Yes, absolutely. There is a celebrity in it. Yeah. There's a there's a famous connection, and it's um, a very important connection. So it's not even it's sort of like a oh, I like know, that a little bit. I, when I found it, I was like, oh my goodness! I've been telling everybody about it all weekend because I think it's I don't know. It's just the kind of thing that really tickles my fancy. Uh, having said that, um, someone had to be murdered to <laughs> get to, to that get point. There. So mm-hmm. I do, you know, I do have to say that up front. But it's anyway, not all I'll start roses. with. Uh, <laughs> No, it's or not rosés, all roses. As the yeah, case unfortunately, may be. someone has, someone someone <laughs> someone had to lose their life for that to all come come about. So the sources that I've used um, for today's crime are thecrimewire.com, sixty minutes Australia, uh, the LA Times, Netflix, and casefile.com. You'll notice, Clarky, there's no Wikipedia. No, it's so a hard one to put together. I did one. notice so, that. What I on know. earth? I must really like the story. How did you pull this together or haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to find I haven't. <laughs> and then, So I've been sitting here trying to work out what, where do I want to start? How do I want to start? What do I want to tell them? So I think I just have to be a little bit sort of factual to start with until we get to the sort of more interesting God. part. But I'll, sort of, I'll sort of guide you through, I guess, the crime to start with. And then what plays out thereafter is what where it becomes increasingly interesting, I think. All the juicy so bits. kind of unusual for me. Anyway, so the story begins with the death of 16-year-old Martha Puebla. Oh, goodness. She's sitting on the 16. curb outside her Sun Valley home chatting with a friend. Sun Valley is sort of like one of those really outer suburbs of um, L.A., and I do think that it has a, a large Hispanic community there. Anyway, she's sitting outside on the curb having a chat with one of her friends and a man walks up from behind her and says to Martha, who are you? And she says, I'm Martha, you know me. The man then removes a, a 9 millimeter handgun from his sweatshirt pocket and begins firing. Jesus. <gasps> yeah. The, fa- the fatal shot was so close to her face that it actually left burn marks on her cheek. So <gasps> it was you know, right up Jesus. to the face, making sure that's who, oh, point what's blank, your name? Yeah, point blank. Yeah. Who are you? It's you. Oh. But it would also suggest that perhaps Martha recognised the person that shot her. Mm. Well, when yeah. she said, you know who I am. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> Martha. Yeah. Soon after, Martin Pinner was contacted while he was at home. Martin is an LAPD homicide detective and he had actually previously visited the location where Martha was killed because he'd been there to talk to her about a teen um, that had been shot in a shooting of five months earlier. Now, this is a little bit not, not too confusing, but the, the young man who'd been shot was a gentleman by the name of Christian Vargas, and Vargas had been dating a friend of Martha Puebla. They never mentioned the name of Martha's friend because I think she's in witness protection. At the time that Christian Vargas had been murdered, Vargas had been sitting in his car and Vargas's girlfriend was talking to Martha Puebla through the, through the window of her home. So you can imagine that. The boyfriend sat out in the car, his girlfriend's at Martha's house having a chat to her through the window. And as it turns out, whilst he was sitting in the car, shots rang out 
and it turned out that he had been murdered. So the girlfriend jumps inside Martha's window into the house and unfortunately Christian Vargas was killed. But, of course, those two girls then are considered witnesses, witnesses to a crime. Mm. So whilst they're and they don't, in, when um, when we say they're witnesses, did they see who yeah. did the did shooting? Did they see anything? Or well, well, I'll get on to that. So according oh, okay. to police, yeah, an early suspect in that crime. So this is not the, this is not the crime that's ever tried. This is the crime that precedes that. It's five months earlier. Okay, according yep. to police, an early suspect in the crime was Jose Ledesma a member of the Vineland Boys, a notorious gang responsible for drug sales in Sun Valley. The unnamed friend, so the, the girlfriend, um, who'd been dating Vargas, told detectives that Martha had identified Lesma as the shooter who'd killed Vargas. Mm. But when police later questioned Martha, she told detectives that she merely was sort of speculating about his possible involvement. And then it says actually like the... So this is from the LA Times. They're saying, in fact, Martha Puebla did not tell law enforcement many details about the crime at all. It kind of her role in what she saw was kind of overplayed. She actually didn't mm-hmm. come out and say, hey, that's who it was. So, so in fact, I don't think yeah, any right. of these kids would have done that. They were not that stupid, right? Yeah. They were yeah, not yeah. growing up in an environment where they were like, oh, yes, I know who it was. Let me tell you. Please, let me. Yeah. yeah. And if I tell a police, so I think that was safe. overstated and overcorrect. And in fact, I think it was totally <laughs> overplayed by the police, and they yeah, yeah, used right. that to their advantage. Right. Ooh. So you know, when they went back and they're pulling all this apart, it's like Martha never actually put her hand up and sort of said, "Hey, I know who it is." That was not actually the case, but she was certainly so, tarred with that brush. Are you suggesting that they were trying to get a? A confession or something by saying that? I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that perhaps the way the police have billed what she has supposedly said might have been overstating that. That's all. That's what I'm saying at this point. Maybe, it maybe just I'm suggesting like was... that then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, yeah, more, probably more of it was made than what it actually, what she ever said. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But nevertheless, authorities searched the home of Ledesma's family. Under his mattress, they found a loaded assault rifle and letters from other Vineland boys. And he was not home at the time the detectives were Sorry, um, what year was this? into the house. This is 2002. And the boys are sending him letters? It does seem a bit odd, doesn't it? <laughs> Whether they'd sent them or not, I don't know, but there were, it says there were letters. There was certainly communi- Let's say there was communication. Boy gang it's funny because it doesn't go into any detail about the letters are, but it's so funny. It's like, what? I'm sure they were just, I'm sure they were getting in the post office and being posted, the gang members posting things in the post office. With love, XXX, hug, hug, hug. <laughs> what is important is when they did go to the house, they were told that um, Ledesma was hanging out with another gang member and that gang member's name is Mario Catalan and that is important. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, they weren't just hanging out. Ledesma and Catalan had fled to Tijuana. Mm. But only two days after that home search, Mexican police responded to a domestic abuse call from someone who'd heard Mario Catalan um, and his girlfriend having an intoxicated fight. When the Mexican authorities questioned her, the girlfriend informed them that actually she was happy to say it, you know, these men are actually wanted by the LA, wanted in LA for murder. And so they actually took them. Desma and Catalan were soon extradited to LAPD's North Hollywood Station. What? That hardly ever happens, does it? Yeah, it was quick. That was is quick. That, That's actually quite is tidy, that, is it, right? Well, so my yeah. understanding is that hardly ever happens. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, like, did you go right. to Mexico That's to escape extradition? Totally. And let alone someone's girlfriend who'd probably be terrified. She goes, oh, yeah, I think they're wanted. She actually does say, yeah, I think that they're wanted. So they ship them off. So back in um, LA, during an interrogation, Pina, who was one of the homicide detectives, told Ledesma that he had witnesses who would testify that Ledesma was responsible for Vargas's homicide. To back this up this claim, Pina displayed what is known as a six-pack. A six-pack is an array of mugshots where there's six, unsurprisingly. I was totally going to say, I know what it. a six-pack is, yeah. Swanee. Back is because I've got, I'm rocking one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me just show you my <laughs> under this keg. <laughs> so this is important. On the six-pack that they've shown Ledesma, Ledesma's photo was circled, 
and initials MP were written below it. <gasps> How about Martha Puebla? Ah, of course. Oh. And scrolled under that, it said, those is the guy that shot my friend's boyfriend. And then scrolled oh. alongside the margin was also a signature. So what? initials, a signature, and the line, those is the guy that shot my friend's boyfriend. So they are showing Ledesma this as proof that, you know, you're going to get See, here's done. Some, We've got a witness. Not just a witness, we're naming her to you. Uh-huh. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. That is so bad. Isn't that unbelievable. When other detectives searched the car that Ledesma and Catalan had driven to Mexico, they found a handgun that would eventually be matched to Vargas's death and also another killing that had taken place the same week, of which I have zero detail because I guess there were probably others as well. But anyway, the point being <laughs> the gun was found. <laughs> so that, friends, absolutely. Can you believe it? So... So That's, surely they'll get off. Yeah, and then come gunning for <laughs> Do you know what? The story, is not, the story is not even about these people. This is not even the story. <laughs> what? So after, it's a little bit about the police work, though, so let's keep right. that in mind. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's in, this is important. After informing Catalan about the weapons discovery, Pina then placed him and Ledesma in a holding cell with a hidden microphone in hopes the two suspects would confess something damning. At this point, Catalan told Ledesma the authorities had found the gun in the vehicle. The night after he heard about the gun, Desma used a payphone outside his cell. He called a friend. The conversation was a mix of Spanish and English. The recording of that call is, was used in sworn testimony and what it ended up being was a, a kind of a badly translated, well, transcribe of what was, what was said and it was done by a company outside the LAPD. But then nothing is kind of ever really done with that and we will park that piece of information because it, becomes quite important. I don't know if you could think of what he might have been doing by calling somewhere after being shown. That bitch Martha. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder yeah, yeah. if there might be some Go things that could have out. been said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, I'm not saying that it is. Well, whatever, she needs some grammar lessons. Imagine what, yeah. Why <laughs> would that be important for the LAPD to have taken the time, energy, whatever else, to really understand what was being said on that phone call? That's how we start to understand why we end up with Martha being shot um, in point blank range. There's some very strong connections now, aren't there? I'm going to tell you what they said in the phone call, although the police were not using it at that time, okay? I just, they they end up accessing it later. This is what was said, and forgive me, I'm not going to use any accents or anything. He starts off by saying, (laughs) Cokester, that's his mate's name. Cokester. And the mate was... (laughs) was a gentleman by the name of Javier Covarrubias, but his gang monkey was uh, Cokester. Cokester, do you know that slut that lives there by my <gasps> house? Her name starts with an M. I need her to disappear. She is dropping dimes. But keep a low profile, stay on your toes, homie, and don't get caught. Gee whiz, I wonder if there was anything in that what? that might have, I don't know, been useful for anybody if they had have known that. So, again, Cokester, so we've got the guy's name, the slut that lives there by my house, so, you know, someone who lives nearby. Her name starts with M. I need her to disappear. She's dropping dimes, which apparently means revealing information. Um, keep a low profile. It actually says, but low pro, so keep a low profile. That's how it's been translated. Stay on your toes, homie, and don't get caught. I can't imagine why that would have been useful for anyone to <laughs> have used, but the point is they didn't. I've seen Prista, and who was the screw that was listening to that phone call? I, I get they only got one end of it, but it's not yep. like that's hard to understand, is it? Unless maybe they didn't. No, speak no, 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 no. They don't Spanish have one end of well. it. When you re- when you make a, a telephone call out of in a jail. prison, yep. it, yep. they are the recorded. Whole the whole thing. Yes. What I'm saying is, in prisoner, there's always a screw hanging around by the phones listening, which is clearly how it always yes. works. So who's the screw yes. in that prison who's hanging around who hears that and goes, oh, there's nothing to hear in that? Because he's hearing it real time or she's hearing it real time. You know, oh, no, that's a it's good opportunity to go, hang on a minute. So Pina, who was the, one of the homicide detectives, Pina said in sworn testimony that the phone call's content remained unknown until January 2005. So that phone call must say, have happened you know, like late 2002, early 2003. If they were tracking it at the time yeah, yeah, and they hadn't yeah. translated it, it just went under the radar. When... 
during preparation for Ledesma's trial for Vargas for Christian Vargas's slaying. So it was more than two years after the recording was made. The Spanish a Spanish speaking LAPD officer listened to it. Could you imagine how that must have felt? Had they understood what was said on that call sooner, the detectives would have known about the plot to murder Martha and they possibly could have foiled it given the time, but that was not used. So I now need you to sort of park that a little bit because we're going to move ahead in time. We're going to move to August of 2003. So what I've done is I've started in May 2003, May 12th, the murder of Martha Puebla. Mm -hmm. I've then taken you back to late 2002 to discuss the murder or the hit on Christian Vargas and then how we can see that that's led to Martha's murder. Now I'm going to take you to August in 2003. So on on an early morning in August 2003, a gentleman by the name of Juan Catalan, Mm -hmm. Juan Catalan, I think I may have talked about a gentleman before called Mario Catalan. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Okay. So there is a connection there. Juan Catalan, he and his girlfriend and their daughter were on the way to his work. He worked in his, his father had like a mechanic, you know, uh, workshop and he'd, you know, worked there for kind of forever. And as they have pulled up into the parking lot, a swarm of LAPD offers unloaded from a van. So he's about to get out of the van and they've got him down the ground straight away. I've read and I've heard there were about 10 officers and they were known as the SIS, which is a special investi- sorry, special investigation section, but it's more colloquially known as Death Squad. And it's a controversial 20-member LAPD team with an inflated budget and reputation known and for shooting goes. first, asking questions later. So there's <laughs> I was wondering type, if that's why yeah. they were Death Squad. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this. The Death, the death Squad has was known to have as many as 45 suspects who never made it to bookings. So I presume that means that they are shot on murder on somewhere. Correct, yeah. They resisted arrest. Victoria Police a few years back. (laughs) Oh, quite a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And New South Wales. I think New South Wales went through a bit of that too. Yeah, they took over after Victoria. Yeah, yeah, got a bit trigger happy, yep. Why were they there and why was Juan now on the ground? They were accusing Catalan, uh, Juan Catalan, of being involved in the murder of Martha Puebla on May 12, 2003. Juan was immediately arrested, taken to jail and placed in a cell. He continually denied he had anything to do with any killing. Taken to an interrogation room, LAPD uh, Detective Martin Pinner, remember Martin? Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't remember mm-hmm. Martin, you probably remember Pinner as a name. Martin Pinner showed him a sketch of the killer of Martha Puebla lying that a witness identified him as the killer. Juan denied knowing anything and asked for a polygraph test, but the police denied him that request. So at this point and what continues on, what they have in terms of evidence is they're saying they've got an eyewitness and they're saying that the, there was a sketch that had been made up and the sketch was of a Latino man with facial hair. Well, we've seen some pretty good <laughs> sketches in the past. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, it was a pretty good sketch, but the, I've seen, oh, you know, when they talk about the six generic pack random and they person. had like six pack, it could have been any, any, any one of them. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was, you know, it didn't It didn't not look like him. I'm not saying it didn't. It did look like him, but, but it also, certainly looked like a lot of other people when too. When you said they lied, so where did the sketch come from? Was there a witness or just someone? The sketch, the sketch was real, but when they were saying that they had the, the line that a witness had identified him as the killer. Oh, right, that okay. Wasn't, Right, right. True. So someone yeah. had just said, this is roughly what I think I saw. Not, not, and I by the way, so. that's one yes. Catalan. I think, yeah, one Catalan. Yeah. Juan is, <laughs> well, he's awaiting a court date. They actually sent him off to Supermax. Had Juan ever been in trouble before? Yeah, he had when he was much, much younger. So Mario Catalan is his brother, and Mario is bad news. He really is. But Juan, not so much. When he was, he's, he, Mario is his older brother, and when he was younger, he was involved in some petty crimes that related to his brother. He had been to jail when he was, you know, younger, and he said, "I'd never want to go back again." So he was living a, you know, a, straight and narrow life. A straight and narrow life. Yeah. yeah. So to be sent to supermax and maintaining Jesus. his innocence was shocking because he knew that he would be potentially tried for, you know, the death sentence because of a murder. Because they kept saying you know, he murdered the sixteen-year-old girl, Martha Puebla. Now, did he know Martha Puebla? Yes, he did. Mm. He did know Martha. And the reason he knew kind of of Martha was because he had been in a courtroom when his brother had been a defendant in a crime and Martha had been a witness. And I don't think that that's a Christian Vargas crime. I think that might be something different. Another crime, yeah. Yeah, So they had 
they, they not, had crossed paths. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and but also that sounds like she's been dropping. She was dropping dimes a few times. <laughs> mm, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Excellent use of the phrase "dropping she dimes." Needs to pick those dimes up. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to stitch those holes in her pocket. Yeah. So he's in Supermax. Yeah. You know, being accused of murdering. You know, an underage girl. He said, "You know, if people got their hands on me, I would." I just knew that they wouldn't be bothering to ask whether or not I had actually done it. And they're not after the distinction of whether I did the crime or not. That's not how it works. Mm. So he said it was the the scariest part of the whole thing was being in Supermax where he was waiting. Trial. You know, to, trial. Yeah. Mm. What was quite was in his favourite, it is kind of remarkable in the way, Juan remembered that he his cousin worked for an attorney, like a really flash attorney who at one point had been on TV and, he, you know, he seemed to have like a really good success rate and the, the cousin was always saying how amazing this guy was. So he reached out and uh, a gentleman by the name of an attorney called Todd Melnick met with one. Anyway, shortly after meeting him, he was like, it just didn't make sense. He said, I just couldn't believe that this kid was capable of, when I say kid, he wasn't a kid, but, you know, this young man was um a killer. I just didn't. I just didn't get it. And he said he was just a father, awesome. always talking about his kids. You know, it just he was he was so scared and so broken. I just didn't get that feeling. And he said, "Okay, so he said I'm going to get you out of here. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to take the case." So this is where I think it gets quite interesting because when I've seen the footage of him being interrogated by the homicide detectives, and the homicide detectives are obviously the ones that were involved in Martha's case and Christian Vargas's case. They are um, Rodriguez and Pinner. They are just, I can hear it in his voice that he is terrified and that it's, you know, he's like, you've got it wrong. I, I, you, you'll find out it was not me. I've had nothing to do with this. And every time they ask him a question or they tell him what he's done, he's like, no, that's not true. And like he, they're not listening to anything he says either. That They've already kind of made their mind yeah. up. It's just, you know, and then they're, they're showing him, as I said before, kind of, you know, fake evidence. Again, things circled and it's just pushing people to a point to try and get a confession, but none of it was actually based on anything particularly factual. So this is where things get, you know, where this is where it sort of caught my eye and I, I found it quite interesting. When he's initially arrested, he cannot get past the fact that they're saying he's murdered a young girl. He's like, no, 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 no. So when they're mentioning dates, I don't. He said, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get to the date. I wasn't thinking, oh, where was I? I'm not thinking of alibis or else. He's like, I, I, I couldn't get past the fact that someone was suggesting that I could be capable of killing someone. So he's not blurting out, this is where I was, whatever else. So he's been arrested. They've interrogated him, whatever else, and it's his girlfriend that comes forward and says, I knew that the date sounded familiar. She's like, that's near Mother's Day. And then she said, actually, I know, I know where you were. You'd gone to the baseball. You were at Dodger Stadium. I know you were at Dodger Stadium. You're at the, you know, you'd taken your daughter to the baseball. Mm-hmm. One's girlfriend Alma reminds one of this, and so then Todd Melnick starts on this sort of campaign to prove that um, he wasn't there. He, he was, was at the he wasn't he, there. he was at the, that he yeah that he wasn't killing he Martha. That out. he was at the baseball. Yes. Yeah. On May twelfth, two thousand three. Uh, Juan Catalan had taken his daughter and two friends to Dodger Stadium to see the LA Dodgers play. And he'd only got the tickets like the day before. Someone had else, they weren't his tickets, they were season ticket holder, you know, some season ticket holder had given them to him. And he'd kind of presented them as, you know, I've seen him talk about this, as a gift for his mum for Mother's Day, knowing full well she didn't want them. But he said, you know, I kind of did this sort of show of, oh, you know, mum, can I take you to the, the baseball? Oh, well, I'll go anyway. So she wanted to go. But he. <laughs> but he did have his daughter with him. Todd Melnick approaches Dodger Stadium and tells them what he's looking for and he starts going through all the footage that the stadium themselves have. And he's like, you know, I'm not having any like He said, you know, I could get to a point. He said, I've actually got I can show you where they are at one point. He said, but it's too grainy mm. as, as evidence of he and the daughter. And he said, you know, I'd have to watch for a particular shot at a certain angle because I knew that they would pan around a certain way. So he'd spent days going through the footage that, Dodger Stadium was able to provide and had something, but it was never going to be sort of enough. Conclusive. Televised? It was, yep. Broadcast, yep. yeah. Yep. But in talking to um, Wiley, he's saying, you know, like radio, who can we talk to? Who else could prove that you were there? And they said they, were, they ended up contacting people, you know, in Chicago and Hawaii and stuff that had been there. But everyone was like, I think so, but I, I'm not prepared to testify because I'm not 100% confident. I don't want to get shot know, in the face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to get involved in an LA gangland crime. Please, again, me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was not an avenue that was sort of becoming fruitful for them. And then one says, look, there was something being filmed when I was there. He said, because at one point I sort of had been held back, but I, I don't, I don't know what it was. I just know that they were sort of near us at some point, you know, a there Netflix was something going documentary on. about Tiger King. Wow. Close. So Ted Melnick heads back to um, Dodger Stadium and says, is there any chance that you would have been filming something here? How would I go about finding it? And they said, well, come with us. And they have like a media department where they, you know, they do do certain things that, where things are filmed. And they said, you know, we work heavily with the entertainment industry. So, we're, you know, we're really open to any approach. Let's, let's have a look. And he said he got, they got a calendar out. And he said they started working back. And he said, to be honest, it was mainly empty. And he said they get to the 12th of May and there's a scribe note saying, you know, production. With He said, look, it was a production company. I wouldn't have known who it was. It meant sort of nothing to me. He said, but clearly something had, had been filmed. He thought, great, well, there you go. I might have another option at finding something with the footage that they've taken. Unbelievably, he calls, you know, the production company number and if they answer the phone and someone says, good morning, HBO. So oh. we are not talking about <laughs> not you know, Netflix, some little, sure. some little yeah, yeah. piss week world production. We're talking HBO. So he said, I was floored just by that. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't even know who to speak to. He said, but yeah. <laughs> I understand that there was something filmed at Dodger Stadium on the 12th of May, 2003. No, too early. Too early, yeah. uh, 2003, yeah. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I'm representing someone who could potentially have been know, get there the death penalty. and I need yeah. the evidence. And I, yeah. I'm desperate. To, I, I, I know he was there. I've got some footage, but I'm just looking for anything else that can corroborate and show that he's there. So would I be able to access, you know, your footage? And they, I've seen the interview with the guy who took the initial call and he's like, he said, I thought this guy was nuts. He was like, look, mate, you know, yeah. <laughs> we haven't even created the episode. I haven't even told you the show yet. We haven't even created mm. the episode yet. So, you know, we, we're not going to let you have the footage. And he said, you know, and then he said, look, come on, I'm, I'm telling you that someone's life. And they were like, well, let me go and ask. So the person that they go and ask is Larry David. It's for Curb Your Enthusiasm. All oh, right. So Larry's like, yeah, you know, sure, come on down. So what they do is Ted Melnick goes down. Uh, Ted Melnick, Todd, Todd Melnick goes down to the production suites for Curb Your Enthusiasm in Santa Monica and says, "I've got to save this young guy's, you know, this young man's life. He's he's been at the baseball, but I need more proof that he was there. Can we go through everything you've got?" And they start doing that, and they're five tapes in. And they finally see him. And what has happened is, I'll, I'll need to tell you the actual synopsis of the story of the episode because it's brilliant. But Larry David is seen walking back up. Like, you know, imagine if you're in like the seat in the grandstand. Yep. And what they had done was because it's fee-paying people, they're not allowed to ask people to move or not move. They have to really work and they have to make it look as natural as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're holding people back and going, you can't walk down there or whatever else. But one of the showrunners was saying, my job was to kind of let the shot happen and say to people, look, I can't stop you, but could we just wait till that's kind of finished? And he said, sure enough, what you see is he's down, he, he's Larry David's bending down talking to one of the other characters in a particular place in which is not where he's seated. He has to move across to go and have this chat with this other character. And then you see him come back up the stairs and there's no one in the stairs and into shot, into frame, walks one one Catalan and his daughter. You see them, like literally Larry David's walking up the stairs and that you see them walk into the top of the shot what? and then they turn side on. So then you get their total profile as they go to their seats. Well, and, then, and his daughter, and just apparently, like you said. Todd Melnick jumps out and goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's him and it's her. It's not just him. They've yeah. walked back with their candy. They've been to like the concession to get some popcorn or whatever. And it, it just the way they build it later, this is you can see this in this documentary called Long Shot. It is, you know, they've built it up, built it up, and there's this moment and you see Larry walking up, nothing's happening. And then this poor man just walks into the shot with his daughter and I just like, oh my God, it was just having was a nice family awesome. day. And yes. then the horror of going to a super max prison, you know, and yes, it's oh yeah. Jesus. But it's not over yet because that might not be enough. But I do want to tell you what the synopsis of this episode was because okay. I remember this episode and it's brilliant. Let me just say about four different versions of it. There was one that I really liked that I wanted to read to you. Where is it? Because uh, it's quite convoluted. Right. Did either of you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Or do you at bit. least know what the show is? Yeah, yeah. Mum's yeah. a big fan. So, yeah. So Larry David is the guy who is the writer for Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. And do you know who Larry David is or do you think I'm mm -hmm. just – uh, no, I, I know do. you do. I'm asking the boys now. You don't know who he <laughs> yeah, is? No, oh, no. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, so Larry, 
Oh, okay. So Larry David was the writer for Seinfeld. And then he had this other show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was massive, like through the, I would say, early 2000s. When did you move to the Valley, boys? Never even heard of it. 2010? 2010. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This, you, I think you might actually like it. You were living in civility at the time that this was on. You would find it funny, I'm sure. I think you would. Should that mean something? But this, the show is about him and he's just this absolute curmudgeon, like really, you know, Arsehole. so un-Hollywood but, you know, he knows, you know, there's quite often all the different comedians that are in there and he's miserable. I mean, to like, be he's fair, I didn't watch Seinfeld, Seinfeld, so. Okay. Yeah, it's not really the same like that. But, it's you know, very it's different about, to Seinfeld. Well, I guess in some, yeah, it's just about a guy who gets himself into shitty situations all the time. Yeah. Yes. Sounds like me. Okay. <laughs> So there's always, like, in each episode, there's all these interconnecting things that make his life, like, he, he mucks it up himself. It's, he's his own worst enemy. And then he always ends up, you know, exposing himself in a way that he's, it's, it's embarrassing. And everybody around him just go, oh, my God, how'd you do that? Or let that happen to yourself again. Okay, so I'm going to just let you read. I'm going to tell you what the episode was about and why he was at Dodger Stadium and who he was with and why it was shot the way it was because it is interesting and important. Larry scrambles to find tickets to a very promising Dodgers game. Jeff and Larry, that's one of his mates, have checked everywhere and cannot find any tickets for sale. Larry finds that Marty's dad, that's another one of his friends, Leo, used to have season tickets to the Dodgers. He's subsequently died. Larry apologised to Marty about some other incident where they'd had a problem and Marty still refuses to give away his dead father's baseball tickets as he claims he's going to the game himself and that he's not going to give the second ticket to anyone, just, you know, just someone. Finally, Cheryl, who is Larry's wife, manages to score two tickets and asks Larry to go, to go to the game with Jeff. But before Larry can go, he has to take care of a few things. The duties include getting out of jury duty. Larry claims <laughs> he claims to be partial to coloured people. That's the excuse he gives them to get out of, which becomes important later on, right? It becomes important later on. Larry claims to be partial to coloured people to get out of serving jury time and scoring some medicinal marijuana for his, dad, for his dad's glaucoma on the way. He manages to score some swag from a street dealer for $200. Then I, then I can show this, but then he, there's a scene where he's sat in his car, you know, trying to work out he's got to get to Dodger Stadium and he's looking down and seeing all the traffic. And he's like, you know, how am I going to get there? I, you know, I just need to be able to use the carpool lane. And it's at that point where he's, you know, just sitting on a side road that a prostitute comes and puts her face and breasts into his car and says, you know, hey, Daddy, want to play Mummy and Daddy or whatever else? So Larry hires the prostitute <laughs> to be a passenger in his car so he can use the carpool lane to get to the L.A. Dodgers game on time. The hooker says that she, <laughs> that she wants $1,000 because he needs it there for five hours for the duration of the game. And he's like, oh, no, don't be ridiculous, but I'm not going to pay you that. And she's like, you know, I'm really good at blowjobs and I'm <laughs> the other I'm worth it. And he's like, anyway, cut a long story short, his mate then pulls out the last minute. So he takes her, the <laughs> prostitute, into and like she and it turns out that she's a black woman, which again will be important later on. So she's this, you know, really busty black woman with lots of attitude. And he's this, you know, really dorky middle-aged guy, you know, balding and whatever else. And they go and sit down together. And so that is all being filmed whilst um, Juan Catalan and his daughter are Her not in shot all the time. Past, yeah. Yes. But, and the thing, and the, the woman who's the actress who plays the hooker, she said, I didn't see one camera the whole time I was there because the way it was done was they used a, a camera long from, shots. you know, long shot mm. to do it all so that it didn't feel like there were real people around them. It had that real sort of um, legitimate kind of, felt genuine when you're watching the, that they were just two people who'd come into a Dodgers game. One of my favourite scenes is that she goes, you're embarrassed to be seen with me. And he's like, no. No, not at all. He goes, I'm just, I'm just worried because I can see two people over there who are in a golf club that I want to become a member of and I met with them yesterday. She goes, I'm going to get my titty out. And he goes, no, no, no. She goes, I'm going to get my titty out. You're embarrassing. And so then he's got his arm around her to try and calm her down. You've got his, that is so brilliant. Then he spots his other mate whose dad had died and the seat next to him's empty. And that's where it is important because when he walks down to speak to him, it's that scene when he leaves the hooker. Yeah. If he didn't go down there, they wouldn't have him going up and down and that's where it becomes really important. 
Okay, so there's the now, actress wasn't Janet Jackson, was it? No, her name was Kim Whitley, but I've seen <laughs> her interview. Brown. And like she had some like Monisha kind of name. She was and she was all this, you know, black sassy, and she was just brilliant. She's like, I'm gonna get my titty out, <laughs> and like they're practically out anyway. And he's like, No, 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 no. Such a good. You don't want to be seen with me. Oh god, it was good. At the game, Larry finds Marty sitting all by himself. And then he sees the manager, the guys who have interviewed him to be, you know, members of this club that he wants to be part of, you know, and he knows his application is a pending decision in two days. Anyway, he doesn't want to be seen, what, not good to look, it's not going to look good with a prostitute. He goes to see Marty, begs, you know, you know, say, why are you sitting alone? Why can't I sit with you? Marty's at him and he wants to save the seat in a memorial for his dead father. So he refuses Larry. Larry eventually has to go back to his seat and, of course, is seen by the managers as they're walking out. And he, he just looks at them and sort of goes, uh... Oh, you know, if you're looking for a a good price blowjob, you know, she's great. And they're just disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, oh, it's probably, probably a bit too much detail there. But anyway, that was where things ended in terms of why Larry David was there and why it was so important that this episode was absolutely pivotal in proving where he was. When they went back to the court, the the woman who is the uh, oh, she was like the, the the gun I forgot her name something silver silverman I've forgotten her name they called her the sniper because she'd never not won a murder trial and she was wow. really not having it she was like that's still it's still not good enough let's have a look what time and that they were able to look at the time on the footage and it would say that it was nine oh nine nine oh sorry nine pm nine oh nine to nine fifteen was the time code that they've got on the footage that they've got of him. But the murder wasn't yeah. until ten forty, and it was at this point that Todd Melnick was like, "Oh my god, we're still we're still not out of the woods yet." And he actually used he'd been a like a reporter online for like sensational kind of crime stories at one point, and he'd covered OJ Simpson, and he knew that one of the ways that they were able to track him at one point was the pinging of phone calls from the the cell towers and so very fortuitously because they were saying to him right have you done anything did you use your credit card did you did you because he said he bought some dodgers play cards for his daughter or trading cards sorry not play cards and he said no i use cash but very fortunately his partner alma had called him so they were able to say that the 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 earliest he could have left was a certain time and it was still at Dodger Stadium in the car park so he wouldn't have had time to get to the scene of the murder. To get there, yeah. Gosh. So, yeah. So as he said, honestly, he said it was like winning the lottery for him. He said because I, my life was gone and he said, you know, I've heard about people being exonerated, you know, 20 years down the track. He said all of that was where I was at. He said I knew that mm. I didn't do it. People who knew that, but it wasn't going to ever be enough. And the other people really wanted to put him away. Isn't it interesting? Because, you know, when we talk about where the burden of proof is, yes. proof like, yeah. the defence are not supposed to have to prove that you're innocent. It's yes. prosecution is supposed to prove that you're guilty. Guilty. And yeah. in this situation, they didn't actually have enough evidence apart from a sketch that could have been any per- bearded Latino. Yeah. And that was it. That's, yeah. They didn't have anything else. It's crazy. The amount of detective work a defense has to do. Yeah, the lawyer. He doesn't even have a have a detective to do it. It's incredible. There's actually a quote. uh, There's a there's part of this footage that I've seen where one of the detectives actually says to him, "He said I didn't do whatever else." He's like, "Well, you're going to have to prove that you know that you didn't because you did. You know, it was like you know you didn't. You absolutely did kill. End of story. You know." It's on you now to try and prove that you didn't. So what? Uh, so they went to court, and then the judge, you know, just pulled the the case, and then he actually, I don't know, I presume he sued the the LAPD or whatever else, but he did get a payout of three hundred twenty thousand dollars. But I don't think it's a quote from him. It might actually be a quote from Todd Melman. But I think it's it's really interesting. It's just it's Melman not or Melnick. To, Melnick. <laughs> Melnick. Okay. Thank you, darling. Did Sorry. I say, did I call him Ted or Todd? <laughs> Todd Melnick. Todd Melman. And I, I might time. be misquoted, yeah. but I've read this somewhere in the stuff that I've read. It's, it's very true. It's not enough to be innocent. You also need to be lucky. And it's some of the things that come up in this in terms of themes that I've found interesting to me were well, obviously the criminal justice system, which we can discuss, luck. And sometimes, you know, luck is either on yeah, your side yeah. or not on your side. This massive kind of what if, what if the footage wasn't there? What if, and this is one that comes up in the documentary and also a lot of the writing that I've read about, the articles, which is 
What if he just had to watch the game from home? Mm. The, the, the wife says, no one would have cared if I'd said he was here. It wouldn't have been enough. What if it was just me and his mum yeah, and my yeah. daughter? No one would have cared about what we said. You needed to have footage because we yeah. were not. We would never have been enough and he would still be, you know, rotting in a jail so, somewhere. Yep. Yep. And then I also thought that there were some other interesting themes around family, cycle of violence, violence, reputation, gang life. All of those things. I just it touched on quite a few things that were quite interesting. But you know, I did want to just end by telling you what happened with uh, with Martha's uh, murder, actual and murder, who, who, yeah. yeah, who who yeah. the murder was, and also what happened with the policeman in two thousand and eight. The Vineland Boys, which was the gang that I mentioned at the outset, into a, a gang member, Raul Rebeldo, was sentenced to life in the murder. The Desma and Coaxter, who is Cova Rubius, who was the one who took the call from um, Locker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Coaxter admitted their roles in Puebla's death and are serving life sentences. According to Associated Press, Los Angeles County prosecutor Beth Silverman, she was the one that was the sni- oh, was nicknamed Sniper because she had never lost her murder case. So she has since won awards. Like she's the gun by all accounts. She's incredible at what she does. But you know, she was she would have been a very ter- terrifying opponent to be against because she you know she didn't lose and she wasn't prepared to like she and when they were going through the process she was confident that it was him this is interesting and i don't quite understand this martha puebla's parents filed a lawsuit against the city because well you know why because they thought well, once they heard that spanish call they could have prevented her death because yeah, they yeah. did not protect her right not only did they not protect her when they found well, out arguably they caused it oh, I, And that was fake. When they showed the picture that had her initials and what the quote that she said and her signature, she didn't do that. They no, had done that. So they had created but that. But they wrote MP. Well. They could Correct, have written any, any other initials that they would exactly. have connected. So, not a, yeah, so they totally set her up. So, But it said a federal jury did find that the two detectives were negligent over the photo ruse. However, jurors found that Puebla and her parents were 80, 80% responsible for her death and the tech detectives were 20% at fault. How? The family, I don't understand this, and the, this is from um, the LA Times, so that I, I, I don't know how else I can find more information on this. But then this is like, this is the bit that I really don't get. The family was ad- awarded $1. Oh, fucking what? What? That is the You've fucking, got to I don't be get kidding. That makes no sense. That just sounds like fuck off, doesn't it? I don't get that. It's very insulting. That's awful. Beyond insulting. That is the ultimate how, insult. How, how is it 80% their fault that I she don't understand shot in that. the face? I, and, you know, I was questioning whether or not I even mentioned it because I don't have anything else. I can't find any other information on that. You know, and I, but there's this one random paragraph, but it was from the LA Disgusting. Times within a bigger article that was actually really interesting. But, yeah, that makes zero sense to me and you know yeah so that is the story of the murder of Martha Puebla and the the interesting journey that poor um Juan Catalan took from being arrested and and how he was able to be proven innocent by um Curb Your Enthusiasm Larry David which is also very ironic given the nature of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> I really wish you could watch this. There's a little bit which I, I won't show because we have time, but oh, fuck, it's so funny. I want you to see the hooker. She's so sassy. I'll get I my just titty love it. out. Like, I'm going to get my titty I'm going to get my titty out. I'm going to get my titty out. You see, I'll show you. You're embarrassed to be with me. Oh, God, it's great. I love it. Oh, I love it. Any thoughts on sentences? I have one. Go on then. Let it rip. I'll just start. I'll just start with... Hmm. What is sort it? of, I suppose, one of the things that starts all of this is this violence, this driving up to someone and shooting them or walking up to someone and shooting them in the face. So I'm going to sentence this. Everyone who decides to uh, perform a violent act against someone else, if you walk up to someone with a gun and you go to shoot them, the gun will misfire and blow up in your hand, but no one else will be hurt, just you. Nice. If you go to shoot someone through a into mm. a into a you know, into a car. That is good. Again, the gun will blow up and maybe blow your own face off, but no one else is hurt. I wanted to know how if wanted you go to know to how badly someone, hurt. 
<laughs> is it equal to what you were going to do or is it not quite that bad or is it worse? Probably not quite that bad so that you can be in quite a lot of pain and, and you don't yeah. have to recover from it. And then when you get another murderous thought, it just happens again to you. You right. go to stab someone and somehow everything slips and you stab yourself in the gut. You know, just Escalating. all the violence is it just like returns that. back on you and can't hurt anyone else. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> is that so in a goofy world in trial what? by wine world? <laughs> I'm try, I was trying to figure it. It's like a yeah, I'm so unlucky. I was oh, thinking I can't believe it's happened again. World. <laughs> oh, it's some like Jerry an world. Or, um, world. Road yeah. runner world. Yeah, some kind of. <laughs> Wildly coyote world. Some kind of way to. Where all the physics go wrong and it just is <laughs> yeah, back on the person you. who's doing this. That That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, what Wiley Coyote it sounds like. I like it. That's a really good one. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really hung up on the whole thing of, yes, I understand, Smitty, what you're saying about how wrong that is to be running around shooting people in the face, 100%. What I don't understand is how <laughs> or where the police get to to be... Um, basically putting a, you know, a, a hit on someone else, someone completely innocent, and then have completely no responsibility for that because that just feeds the, the fire kind of thing and it, it creates that whole, to me, a, a lawless society. So, And I find it really interesting because you're absolutely right, but you get this sort of sense that the, all of this crime is happening and all these gang guys are doing whatever they're doing and probably the police are losing the fight a bit here, to go so hard on a person that you've got no evidence against, so one, or to do things where you're actually falsifying information to try and get someone to, I don't know, confess or whatever, like they, it just smacks of some kind yes, of incompetent yeah. desperation in this kind yeah. of policing that's happening here. And you, you just think, to what end are you trying to do this? Are you trying yeah. to put these guys away? Or are you just randomly kind of, you know, firing blanks at the at, yeah, at and, anyone and who looks, and I suspect race has quite a lot to do with this. Correct. Latino. We, yeah. We've seen that before. Remember we did the camouflage assassin and that was probably similar in some ways. What shocks me is that they've actually um, named the supposed informant who actually wasn't at all yeah. that's led to her getting killed yeah. and they have no it's care for being responsible for that and that that's what gets me and i don't know from that what a what's even worse is she was cooperating is. with them 100 percent. you know to your point about no one's ever going to help you this girl was actually cooperating with you and giving testimony and you so let maybe, her get killed oh you're not only you let maybe, her get killed you pointed um, a finger at her totally set up yeah. Maybe yeah. Deputy City Attorney yeah. Elizabeth Fitzgerald, yeah. who thinks that they haven't done anything wrong, needs to go to what was the prison? Supermax. The, the maximum security one. Supermax. Oh, sorry. Supermax. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that, that's I don't it. Know. Yeah, Just so Supermax. Supermax. Maybe that's, that's where she needs to go Supermax. for no reason. Just within the Supermax. Yep, yep. Elaine no Page Supermax. Elaine Page Supermax, that'll do just fine. I can't remember, but there was an Elaine Page prison somewhere, yeah. <laughs> Elaine Page. Yeah, yeah. And, Shout out Elaine Page. And I don't, want, I don't want anyone to die as a result of her actions because we've had enough of that. But I, I can't understand that how she thinks it's appropriate to not be horrified by that and to not go, my God, that, that kind of technique is something that we should never, ever use. So... I think let's let's just send her to Supermax for twenty years for no reason yeah. without justifying it and get her to prove she didn't do it. Do what yeah. exactly? Yeah. <laughs> like you didn't. Yeah. Where's your proof though? But but proof of what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's just mm. it's so so bad, and and she's at the heart of that problem. Not to mention the detective or the policeman who did it in the first place, but she's defending that naughty. Naughty. Swanee? Swanee? Um, I want to just sort of, you know, I don't want to do anything particularly violent, but what I wanted to try and, you know, replicate was I wanted the detectives to understand that, you know, actions have consequences. So when they start by, you know, faking someone's signature or whatever else and putting, a, you know, a target on someone's head, you can't, they don't, that doesn't get removed. You know, those things don't happen. It's there and it's for good. And, you know, I would like them to have that idea of that sense of 
foreboding, which was like, oh my god, I'm a March person. I'm I'm wanted. That that's that fear. That would be a really you, you've done that. I wouldn't say flippantly, but they didn't really have any um, real thought for those the those people's lives, did they? When they were doing that stuff to, no, to no. Martha, yeah. none at all. Yeah. It's like you know, this is a means to an end to get to someone else, and you know. Having seen the um, officers who were involved, one of them was Hispanic, um, Rodriguez, and the other guy, like, I've seen them ask point blank if they did their own thing and they had admitted and they were very sort of like, yeah, yeah, you know, like they they weren't even arguing the fact they had done the wrong thing. It was just sort of like, yeah, I did, you know, yeah, I did the wrong thing, you know. It was, well, I wonder if that reaction is because we can't take it back and where well, it's done now. Totally, it's, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. And yes, we did. We, all we can say is yes, we did do the wrong thing. Yeah, it wasn't like that. I'm not saying that they were saying sorry. It was just this idea of they were just resigned to it. Yeah, you know, that's what we've done. Just that idea of being hunted, or because that you would be in gangland. You know what I mean? That's yeah, exactly yeah. the kind of thing you get taken out for. And they know that it's not like it's someone going, "Oh, I didn't know that there'd be a." That would be the outcome. That they've got to have known exactly what the outcome would have been, right? Yeah, Unless they yeah. were, you know, if they, they shouldn't have been Sick on those kind shit. of cases. It just makes doesn't add up to me. It's just amateur hour. People having a little bit of a go. It's like, oh, what about this person? Oh, he's got the Desperate same surname as well. Yes. Yeah. Detect. Yeah. Sorry, defective detective work mm. again. That's massively. But isn't it? I, I, maybe it was an introductory paragraph of one of the articles I read of somewhere, but it was. There are a lot of people in the system who shouldn't be there or haven't done the yeah. crimes that they've been told they've done it, and there are some that are dead. It is that I just find that terrifying, right? That it's not enough to be innocent. Sometimes you have to be innocent and lucky. That is mm-hmm. terrifying because we Isn't know it- that from all the crimes that we look at, we don't always have all the right proof at the right time. Sometimes you do need to have a bit of luck on your side. <laughs> Yeah, and and there's literally no evidence. Isn't it funny? Like you know that whole no. thing, and, and Schmidt, you touched yeah. on it earlier, and one of you were just then that you know the innocent yeah. until proven guilty. But where's the proof? Who's actually gone and tried to find any evidence that yeah. you know this bloke was guilty? That I can't believe it was even going to prosecution. I can't believe charge like it's it crazy, got that far. Isn't it? There just there was nothing like what what were you basing and you know Swanee said that and yet he's in you know, Superman what was her name Silver Shooter Silverman, Silverman or whatever Silverman. name yeah the, the sniper sniper the sniper Seth Silverman sniper yeah yeah she she I mean, clearly that's... thought that whiff of um, yeah. whatever was quite enough to put this guy away yeah and and is she relying on prejudice yeah the judge who uh, she is in the the long shot in the – it's a very – it's only 40 minutes. It's such a, you know, a snapshot sort of documentary. It's not a lot of – Snapshot of the long shot, yeah. Snapshot of the long shot, yeah. <laughs> she speaks at one point and she said, she said, I just kind of had this feeling that I, so I wanted to take the – she took home the, inter, the initial interviews with the detective. She took them home. She said, I watched them time and time and time again. She said, I even had my kids watch them with me. She said, I just had this feeling. She said, I just thought this this is an innocent man. The way he was responding to different things, she said, I just couldn't see how that would possibly, I could put him in front of a jury. And then, you know, she, she was the one who ended up sort of t- kicking it out of court. But, you know, if you had had somebody else who went, mm, I don't like what he looks like or I don't like this, yeah. I think things could mm. have gone another way. Well, frankly, I just don't care. Next. Yeah. 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 You you were once in you're in jail when you were younger you were involved in something and your you're brothers are absolute rat bag you're yeah. part of that yeah. gang yeah. Um, you're out yeah. I mean I could so investigate it but it'd take a lot of my time I could but I won't I don't want to yeah. waste right. my time yeah. there we go well that was a good one Swanee yeah. well done yeah, nice one. frustrating but I am happy for yeah. Juan and his family that um, yes, there was justice did prevail on this occasion well as we say every week miss you already. Ciao, ciao, Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.